Amen. Lord, that is our heart, our desire to praise, glorify, and magnify your name. You are worthy to be worshipped, to be praised, and to be honored. Lord, as we go to this time in your word, we pray that you would be our teacher. Lord, give each of us ears to hear what your spirit would say to us this morning. No one is here by accident. You've brought us here by divine appointment. So, Father, we're ready to hear what you would say to us, Lord. May man decrease, that your spirit would increase, that you would be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Welcome to Calvary Chapel. It is great to have you here. Go ahead and turn your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 1, picking up where we left off last week. If you're new here at Calvary Chapel, we just go verse by verse, chapter by chapter, right through the Bible. Let me encourage you to read 1 Samuel chapter 5 for this coming Wednesday night. We'll be looking at that together. And then, uh, again, the movie tonight. Let me encourage you. Even if you hate football, you will be blessed. If you love football, you'll be really blessed. But if you hate football, you will absolutely be blessed. Just a powerful movie. The only movie I've seen where every grown man I know that's seen it has wept through it. So God's going to use it mightily. Be praying for that tonight. All right, let me give you a quick overview. As we've talked about, this is one of the pastoral epistles. This means a letter written by the Apostle Paul to his son in the faith, Timothy. First Timothy was written to give them uh, an example of how the church should conduct itself. How the church was to act on a day-to-day basis. Giving them some clear instruction and direction. The key verse in First Timothy is, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of truth. So God has order for the church, and we saw that in First Timothy. Now we get to, the sec- to Second Timothy, things have drastically changed. Even though you only turned one page in your Bible, it's gone from a time, again, where Paul is writing and he's in difficult circumstances, but now some time has passed. He's gone to several cities. He's been arrested again, and now he's facing death. He's literally in a cave-like cell with no windows, cold, dark. You know, they have a hole in the top where they lower down his food. He's confined there. He's going to be about to face Nero, who, again, at that time, the Caesar is going to have him beheaded. So Paul, this is really his last will and testament. These are the final words that he writes. And I have found as a pastor, I found as a, as a man that when people get close to the end of their life, especially when you're ministering to somebody laying in a hospital bed, it's amazing how significant those words can be. And this is Paul's last words to his son in the faith, Timothy. He has a burden and a concern in his heart that he would remain steadfast. Now understand that not only was it a difficult time for Paul, but it was a difficult time for all Christians because Nero was in charge and he was persecuting the believers. He had burned Rome to the ground and accused the Christians of being responsible. And then he put on a full-out attack against all believers. He would capture those who were known Christians and then torture them to get the names of other Christians. This is during the time where they would put wild animal, they would put skins on them and then feed them to wild animals. They would cover them in pitch and set them on fire, a, a tar-like substance. He literally had Christians like, like candles or torches in his garden where he would take them and cover them and set them on fire to light his garden at night as he would ride between them with no clothes on on his horse laughing, out of control. Nero was a wild man. But understand that because of all that was going on in the persecution of the church, many Christians were starting to walk away from God. And you know what? That's what happens when persecution comes. You find out where you really stand and who's really standing for the Lord. 
It's easy to be a Christian on the cruise ship to heaven, but how do you respond in times of trial and difficulty, and even more importantly, in times of persecution, when you're walking in obedience to the Lord? So it's from that heart that Paul is writing to Timothy to encourage him and to exhort him and to exhort the believers to stand firm in the Lord. So first Timothy, he encourages them in their church conduct. In second Timothy, he exhorts them to stand strong in the face of great persecution. You've heard me say it before. A faith that cannot be tested is a faith that cannot be trusted. And if our faith has not been tested, we don't know where we really stand, or at least others do not. We should know by our intimate fellowship with the Lord. And so he's telling them to stand strong in the midst of persecution. And that's not just a message for the people of Timothy's day. It's a message for every single one of us. One of the key verses in 2 Timothy is chapter 2. Verse 34, it says, You therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare and tangles himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. Paul later would say, I have fought the good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept my faith. And so for Paul, this is, these are his final words. And you and I should be listening and heeding this counsel. Now, Paul had had a glimpse of heaven. And now in chapter 1, we saw the first half last week, he talked to them about living a life that would impact eternity. And he gave us three points, and I'll I'll give you those, and then we're going to pick up where we left off and look at part two of the same message, living a life that will impact eternity. And Paul is focused on heaven. And it's the reason that Paul's sitting in prison, and he writes him a letter, and his first words aren't, get me out of here, which would have been mine. How about you? Amen? Get me out of here. Where are you guys? What, I I share Jesus with you, you get to know Christ, you're born again, you're going to heaven, and you can't hook a brother up, come on, get down here, right? But that's not what he says. You know what he does instead? He exhorts them to continue to be steadfast and stand for the Lord. Paul was not afraid of death. You know why? Because for a believer, it's graduation day, amen? We, we, from, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And so he exhorts them. And the exhortations we saw last week in living a life that will impact eternity, if you're a note taker, the first three that we saw last week was by being a man or a woman of prayer. Paul was in prison, so he couldn't go out and evangelize his faith, but he could pray. And you might be in a circumstance where your health or your schedule or whatever may inhibit you some and being able to minister the way that you would like but one thing we all can do is we can pray amen even if you can't move your lips you can pray and you can intercede on behalf of others number two how to live a life that will impact eternity by passing your faith on to the next generation the reason timothy was a godly man of course the holy spirit's the one who who convicted him but god used his godly mom and his godly grandma when he had an unsaved dad May that be an encouragement to you here who maybe you have a spouse who isn't saved. May you be a prayer warrior. May you be the one that points your children to the Lord and prays for your spouse's salvation. And we saw that with Lois and Eunice, his grandmother and his mother, that they taught Timothy the word from his youth. Praise God for our Sunday school teachers. Amen? Praise God for those who minister to our kids, who prepare, who pray, who study, and minister the truth to them. But as I've said many times, what they get in Sunday school ought to be gravy from what they're getting at home. Amen? Amen. God's called us first to be those who minister to our kids. And then thirdly, by stirring up the gift that is within you. The way you live a life that will impact eternity, God has gifted everybody in this room. God didn't save you to make you a pew potato. You've heard me say it many times. Amen? 
He didn't save you so you could be the biggest, fattest, best fed sheep in town. The Dead Sea is dead because it's all inlet and no outlet. God saved you to use you for His glory. And we need to take some of those gifts we put on the shelf and stir them up. The word stir it up in the original language means to fan the flame. Amen? We need to be, Lord, light the fire again in our hearts. God doesn't want any of us to resign from the ministry or to give up or to quit. And that's the word he was giving to Timothy. So now if you're taking notes, the three things we'll see this morning in living a life that will impact eternity, part two. Do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. Lord, help me to get through this point because we may be here the entire message. But do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. Amen? We're not to be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we'll talk about that. Second, how do we live a life that will impact eternity by, sh- by willing, be willing to share in the sufferings of the gospel. By sharing in the sufferings of the gospel. And then last, by holding fast to the word of God. So, living a life that will impact eternity, part two. Let's begin by looking at point four. Do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. So we begin in verse eight of Second Timothy chapter one. And it says, Therefore... Do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. You've heard me say it many times. When you see therefore in the Bible, you ask what it's there for, right? And it's referring back to the previous statement always. He's saying in light of what I just said, here's how you should respond. What did he just say? What had he just told them? He had just told them in verse 7 that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. God has not given us a spirit of fear, therefore don't be ashamed of the gospel. God has not given us a spirit that, of cowardice, that's what the word fear means, where I'm more concerned about my self-preservation than I am burdened for the lost. God has not given us that spirit. In light of that, do not be ashamed of the gospel. But he says, not only has he not given us the spirit of fear, but what does the Holy Spirit give us? It says the Holy Spirit gives us power and love and a sound mind. Or as I wrote it down, courage, compassion, and control. Fear is, again, that word cowardice. Fear, anxiety, and worry. These are all the opposite of faith. The Bible 365 times says, do not fear. So when we're afraid... It's because we're not trusting God. Now, do we all struggle with it at times? Anybody here, raise your hand. If your hands are up, you struggle with lying also, okay? But here's the point. There are times when we struggle with fear, amen? There are times when we're overwhelmed by our circumstances. But that only happens when we have our eyes on the physical and we get them off of the Lord. The apostles were afraid when the storm kicked up because they took their eyes off of Jesus and they put them on the waves. And we get overwhelmed in difficult circumstances because we get our eyes off of the Lord. Fear often comes from three things I wrote down. Feelings based on our own human frailties. I'm not smart enough. I'm not educated enough. I'm not strong enough. I'm not gifted enough. I just can't do it. Let someone else do it. That's a human frailty that we all struggle with from time to time. But here's the good news. You don't do it. God does it through you. Amen? Without Him, I can do nothing. But I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So the fear comes when we get our focus on the physical instead of having it on the Lord and trusting in Him. Another reason we fear is we have a concern of how others will respond. What are people going to think about me? How will others treat me? Again, if we have an eternal perspective, it doesn't matter. If we're worried, we need to be more concerned about what God sees than what men think. 
Amen? We need much more concerned about seeing the lost saved than my neighbor won't talk to me anymore. My boss won't give me the good shifts anymore because I talk about Jesus at work. You know what? He's Jehovah Jireh, Lord God, a provider. He gave you the job you've got. He'll give you another one if you need it. Amen? Amen. And he puts you there for a reason to be salt and light, so don't be ashamed of him. He did not give us a spirit of fear. And we should not be afraid. We should stand firm in the Lord. And then thirdly, another reason is we give the enemy too much credit. One of the things the enemy loves to do is condemn us. He loves to condemn us. And you've heard me say it before, and it's actually a bumper sticker, and it's a good one. The next time Satan reminds you of your past, you remind him of his future. Amen? Don't worry about, again, you're forgiven. He separated your sin as far as the east is from the west. And one of the reasons we're afraid is we give the enemy too much credit. But greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And we need to remember that and not walk in fear. So it's not fear, but he's given us power. The word power is dunamis. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, you shall receive power, dunamis, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. It's where we get the word dynamic or dynamite. And you know what? God's given us a a dynamic faith. He's given us the ability to be used mightily by Him for His glory. The courage to stand up in spite of human frailties. The courage to not succumb to the condemnation of the enemy when the Holy Spirit comes upon us. We don't do it in our strength. We do it when we rest in His strength. But not only has He given us power, but He's given us love. The word of love there, love there, one guess? Agape. Agape is a selfless love. A love that loves someone outside of ourselves more than ourselves. Perfect love, the Bible says, casts out all fear. Because we have the love of God, we have no fear. We should have no fear. Because we have the love of God, the love for God, and the love for others. The reason we're afraid to share our faith is because we often don't love God enough or others enough. Amen? Amen. If we really love them, wouldn't we be more burdened to see them saved than worried about them being bummed out at us? Wouldn't it be a greater burden on our heart to say, you know what, this person's going to hell without Jesus Christ, pastor said hell. The hell's a real place. But here's the thing, guys. Wouldn't we be more burdened about people who are headed to hell than we are about how popular we are before men? And so this is that love, that agape love, love for God and for others that is greater than our love for ourselves. Again, a coward is concerned about himself at any cost. Someone who has agape love or compassion overcomes a concern of how others may respond and how others may treat him because of his supernatural love for that person and where they spend eternity. And then lastly, he says, a sound mind. This again, I use the word control. In contrast to the panic and confusion that rushes in when we're fearful. Don't we panic when we're afraid? Right? We just get out of control. But you know what? When we're walking with the Lord, he's in control. Amen? And we're not fearful. We're not anxious. And we're not worried. We're, we have minds that are moved by the Word of God, not by our, our emotions. So the Holy Spirit does not produce fear in our lives, fear of our circumstances, or fear of man, or fear that renders our gifting useless, but gives us power to witness with boldness, to step out in faith when we're afraid, to love and esteem others greater than ourselves, and to have a mind that is moved by God. So, therefore... In light of the fact that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but one of power and love and a sound mind, therefore, do not be ashamed of the gospel. Amen? Do you understand? Having been equipped with those things by the Holy Spirit, having not been given that spirit of fear, it ought to impact how 
we live. In light of the fact that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind, of courage, compassion, and a control, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. That word there for, when it says do not be ashamed, ashamed means to dishonor, disfigure, or be ashamed. You know what? We dishonor God when we do not stand up for the truth. Amen. And we disfigure the, the, His testimony when we live for ourselves. You know, as Christians, people are watching you, by the way. Amen? Whether you know it or not. They may be watching for a distance and say nothing for months or even years. But you know, it's amazing how they come to you when trials come and they need prayer. It's amazing how God will use you when you don't even know the people are watching. And so it's important that we do not disfigure His testimony by calling ourselves Christians and then living like the world. God's called us to be holy, amen? Amen. To live holy and set apart lives. Again, without Him we can do nothing, but I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And He can help us to walk in holiness before Him. May we not be ashamed. May we not dishonor. May we not disfigure our Savior's testimony. And then it says, the testimony of our Lord. The word in Greek for testimony is evidence or witness. So there's evidence that Jesus Christ is God. Amen? Amen. His life is filled with evidence that He is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no man comes to the Father but by Him. His life is evidence that He is the Creator. His life is evidence that He's the only path that we can choose to know God. His life is evidence that He is God, made manifest in the flesh. That's the testimony of our Savior. And we should not be ashamed of it, nor should we water it down one bit. Amen? Amen? And we're living in a world today where the testimony of our Savior is under attack. Paul and Timothy and, and were told, don't be ashamed. But the same should be said for, for every pastor and for every believer. Now remember, he's writing this to Timothy. Don't be ashamed. Timothy, be bold. Oh, by the way, they're feeding Christians to lions. By the way, they're taking Christians out and covering them in tar and setting them on fire. By the way, they're beheading. I'm I'm going to be beheaded soon. But yet he writes to him. He doesn't say, you know, it's getting kind of rough out there, Timothy. Hide for a while. You know, Timothy, uh, you know, bro, you've shared your faith enough. Go find yourself a, a, a secluded cabin on the Mediterranean and, you know, just, just intercede on behalf of others. That's not what he tells him. He says, Timothy, be bold. So what is the testimony of our Savior that we're not to be ashamed of? What is it? Jesus Christ is God. He is one with the Father. He is the second part of the Trinity. There is one God in three persons. He always has been. He always will be. He is the creator of all things, including you and me. We were made in His image. Man's original creation was able to walk with God and communicate directly with Him. But man chose to sin and separated himself from God because God can have no sin in His presence. You know what? It was a debt that was impossible for us to pay. But Jesus, out of His love for us, left heaven and took on humanity, became 100%, remained 100% God while taking on 100% man. And then He came and lived a sinless, holy, perfect life and died in our place to restore sinful man back to holy God. So He came to earth. He lived sinless. He died on the cross in our place. He took our punishment. He was buried. He rose from the dead. He appeared to the disciples and many others. He ascended into heaven. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. He makes intercession for us and He's coming back to take us home. 
That's the testimony of our Savior, and we should not be ashamed of one bit of it. Amen? Amen. He is our Messiah. He alone is our only way of salvation. So, in a more concise way, how do I say this? You and I are sinners. Our sins separated us from God. We deserve eternal punishment. Jesus came, took our sin, died in our place, proved himself to be God by raising from the dead. And in order to receive his gift of salvation, we must confess our sin, come humbly and broken before him, and ask him to forgive us, and he will. And he'll fill us with his Holy Spirit. He'll write our name in the Lamb's book of life. He'll give us citizenship in heaven, and he'll come back to take us home. Now, can we be, we need to stand up for every single bit of that testimony. We need to not be watering it down or ashamed of it or calling the cross a vile doctrine as so many have. The cross of Christ is a stone of offense for those who are dying in their sin, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. Amen? And so he's telling Timothy, Timothy, don't be ashamed. Timothy, it may cost you your life. Don't water it down. Guys, I don't know very many of you have been threatened to lose your life for sharing your faith. Maybe some of you have, but probably most of you have not. And you know what? That day could be coming. Amen? But while it's not, does it, does it require that for us to be bold? We have more freedom. It ought to give us greater boldness. Amen? Instead of us being more concerned, or, or well, you know, hey, it's all good, man. I'm just kind of rolling with it. I'm just kind of fitting in with the world. You know, there's nothing new under the sun. Just as people struggled then and were walking away, so too people struggle today. Many people struggled with the message of the gospel back then because they couldn't imagine that the Messiah would die the death of a common criminal. Imagine if you came to church and we said, you know, the Messiah just came and, you know, uh, he preached the, the truth and you're new here. You, you weren't here when he was here. You missed it. But they took him down and electrocuted him. He's dead now. And, but, but, you know, he really was, is the Messiah. And a lot of people didn't want to, what are you talking about? That's a death set aside for the most common of criminals. And that's why people call the cross a vile doctrine. You know why he had to go to the cross? Because our sin was vile. Our sin was deserving of death and separation. And he had to go to that place of torture and torment to take our punishment so that we wouldn't have to. How dare we kind of cover up the cross? How dare we try to water down the gospel because we're afraid of offending people? You know what? We've offended God by our sin. And you know what? We need to come broken and humble and thankful and desperate before Him and not be apologizing for the greatest act of love in the history of all mankind. We should not be ashamed of the gospel. I told you I might not get off this verse. Not only did they struggle with the cross, but they struggled with the resurrection. I saw some guys on TV just the other night downplaying whether or not the resurrection was significant. Duh! Hello? Got the collar on. Oh, I don't think it's that big of a deal. What? Are you out of your mind? Here's the point. How does he prove himself to be God? He triumphed over sin and death. Amen? You know, did Muhammad get up out of the ground after three days? How about Hare Krishna or Buddha or Joseph Smith or Charles Taze Russell or the latest guru to come down the pike? They're all dead and in the ground, amen? Amen. But Jesus is a risen and living Savior who triumphed over sin and death and the resurrection is essential. We cannot downplay it and act like it's not a big deal. It's a huge deal. If He's not resurrected, we are hopeless. But He is risen. I've been in the tomb. Those of you who've been with us to Israel, you've been there too? He's not there, Amen. 
He's not there. You know, most biographies end with the person's death. Isn't it awesome how our Savior's impact on the world goes on and on because He's living and risen and seated at the right hand of the Father and interceding on your behalf as we speak. That's the God that we we, we serve. Now again, there's nothing new under the sun. The secret sensitive message today was wanting, you know, wants a more easily acceptable message. You know, he could have said, Timothy, you know, maybe if you just water it down a little bit, there won't be so much persecution. You know, don't, you know, hey, bro, just, just tell him that God is love and leave it at that. And that's what's happening today. He is God love. Of course he is. He's the definition of love. Amen. Amen. The fruit of the Holy Spirit is love. Don't offend people with the gospel. Let's give them one that's more centered to what they want to hear. Guys, it doesn't matter what God thinks, or what men think, but what does God say? Amen? Amen. The cross of Christ is a stone of offense. The Roman cross is offensive. But the cross is the glorious gospel of love and redemption. It is not a vile doctrine. Why did Jesus hang on the cross? Because He loved you. It was not nails that held our Savior to the cross. It was His love for you. Could He have gotten down any time He wanted? Of course He could. He's God. He could have turned them all into toads and started over if He wanted. Amen. They're spitting in His face. Can you imagine what? And you know what? Look at the grace of our God. Because if any one of us had had His power and been in that position, someone spitting in your face, you might have just went, pile of rocks. You know what I mean? <laughs> but God did not do that. Because not only was he dying on the cross for you, but he was dying on the cross for the person who was spitting in his face. That is the God that we serve. He hung on a cross for us. How can we be ashamed of him? How can we be ashamed of the gospel? We must not be ashamed. We must not dishonor it or disfigure it. Jesus said, Confess me before men, and I will confess you before my Father in heaven. Deny me before men, and I will deny you before my Father in heaven. The Great Commission, Jesus' last words to His disciples, was to go therefore into all the world and preach the gospel. We are not to be ashamed of the gospel of our Lord. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. So living a life that will impact eternity, point number one, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. Number two, we must be willing to suffer for the gospel. I didn't come for that. That's not the Christianity I signed up for. I thought it was the get out of hell free card with the cruise ship to heaven. Where's that program? I just thought if you come to Jesus, everything's perfect after that. And here's the point. Everything is perfect after that when you look at it from an eternal perspective. Amen. Amen? It's that we may have to lose some of this temporal stuff that he might be glorified and others might be drawn to him. So let's talk about this suffering. Look what it says. Do not be ashamed of the testimony of the Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. The Paul, the founding pastor of the church in Ephesus, the church that Timothy is now pastoring, can you imagine? People come to the church. Now, how did this church get started? Well, you know, the Apostle Paul, God used him, brought him here. He preached the gospel in the synagogue. People started to get saved. Church was founded. That's what happened. Oh, great. Well, where's he now? Well, actually, he's in a cave, and Nero's about to chop his head off. I don't think I like your church. (laughs) What? Oh yeah, and by the way, a bunch of our other members, they've been set on fire and being fed to lions. You want to get involved? Right? (laughs) And he says, you know what? Don't be ashamed of the gospel and don't be ashamed of Paul either. 
Don't be ashamed of those who are standing for the Lord. Now I have to say this. I'm not saying we shouldn't be ashamed of those who, be, who pretend to stand for the Lord. Because it does bring shame to His name, doesn't it? Amen. Some of the stuff we see done in the name of Christ. But all the more reason we need to be standing up and doing it in love that people can see there is authentic Christianity out there. He's in prison. He's about to be persecuted. Not easy to be identified with one who's in chains about to die. And Timothy might again have been tempted to distance himself from his association with Paul for fear that he might be in prison next or that he might, you know, too be someone who has fed to the lions. But God has not given us a spirit of fear but has empowered us to stand up for Him with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Our cowardice flesh wants to avoid suffering at all costs, but as our desire is to live a life that will impact eternity, it becomes less and less about our comfort and more and more about reaching the lost and bringing glory to His name. It's a lot less about how comfortable I am, but how His name is being magnified. Even if it costs us temporary suffering, isn't it worth it to reach people with the truth of the gospel? Amen. Aren't you glad someone sh- told you? Amen. Amen? Amen? And we never know what it cost them to be able to tell you, but praise God that they did. Praise God that they ministered to us. Again, the suffering here is not due to disobedience, but suffering that comes as we serve the Lord. This present suffering is but a light affliction compared to the eternal glory which is to come. Suffering must, again is much easier when we know the end result will be worth it. Just watching a video with my kids of, of my son David being born and the anguish my wife went through in giving birth. It's only that in the end when it's over you have a beautiful child that women do it again. Amen? And you know what? It's because the end result is so glorious that the suffering is worth it. And the same is true that as we go through difficulty on behalf of our Savior, it's but light affliction in comparison to the glory which is to come. For Jesus, it was but light affliction. The most incredible, heinous, painful death in the history of all mankind was but light affliction in comparison of the glory which was to come, the glory that you would come to know Him as Savior. That you too would have the opportunity to be born again. Notice what it says of Paul, nor of me, Rome's prisoner. Is that what it says? What does it say? His prisoner. And you notice that word his is capitalized. You know why? Because he's not the prisoner of Rome. He's the prisoner of the Lord. God is in control, you guys. And whatever your circumstances are, God is faithful. God has put you there. Let him be glorified in the midst of it. Now let me make this very clear. God didn't put you in jail because you went out and had 47 beers and drove into a pole. You put you in jail. Amen? (laughs) Amen? But as you walk in faithful obedience to the Lord and you're walking with Him and persecution comes and trials come and you end up in difficulty, God did allow you to be there that He might be glorified through it. God is in control. Paul is in prison, not by the will of Nero, but by the will of God. And I love this. I shared this last week that Pastor Bill Holdridge was down at the missions conference and he said there was a young gal there from Afghanistan who had ministered in Afghanistan in her early 20s and then in Iraq. And that's where she's ministering now. In her early 20s, laying down her life for the Lord. And her prayer to God, and I love this. I wrote this down and I love it. She prayed and said, Lord, whatever your question is, my answer is yes. I like that. Lord, whatever the question is, I don't even know what it is. Answer is yes. Lord, whatever you ask, yes. Whatever you want, 
Yes. Wherever you want to lead me? Yes. I need to lay down my life for you? Yes. Lord, you lay down your life for me. How can I not do the same? Lord, use my life in whatever way will bring you the greatest glory. Impact the greatest number of people. Paul said, look, I'm in prison because God allowed me to be here. So I have joy being here because I know God's in control. If God wants me to die, I'll die. But to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So it only gets better and you can't threaten me with heaven. Amen? From the Apostle Paul's perspective, there's nothing the world could do to him. And so too for you and I as Christians. Then he says, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God. Again, this dispels the myth that becoming a Christian life will always be a bed of roses. The Bible says, if anyone desires to come after me, Jesus said, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. It says, in the world you have tribulation, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. Paul calls those closest to him in ministry, co-laborers and fellow soldiers. Ten out of the eleven remaining apostles after Judas betrayed Christ were martyred. And John, according to tradition, was boiled in oil but wouldn't die. So they put him out on the island of Patmos and there he wrote the book of Revelation. So, we all want to be apostles until we find out what the cost might be. The world hated Jesus, the world will hate you. That's what the Bible says. Bro, I'm really glad I came to church today. I was, I'm so uplifted now. <laughs> Let me give you some words to encourage you when suffering comes. Know that God is using you to impact eternity. And that's what matters. Amen? He will be with you every step of the way when you're in the midst of the trial. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. He promises to empower you to remain faithful in the midst of it. Because look what it says next. But share with me in the sufferings of the gospel according to the power of God. If God calls you to do it, He will give you the power to do it. You see others suffer and you think, I could never do that. And you know what? Where you are right now, maybe you couldn't. But no God is sufficient to bring you through. Paul Again, this father in the faith to Timothy knows what's in front of him, but doesn't tell him to hide from persecution, but says, follow me boldly in proclaiming the gospel, though it will indeed result in suffering. Again, hard words for Timothy to hear, harder words for, for Paul to say. As he's about to be killed, he kept looking up and he said, stay strong in the gospel. Do you think any of the apostles are in heaven bummed out that they, they lived their lives to the point of being so sold out for God that they were killed for it? Do you think they're bummed? But I guarantee you there are those who had saved souls and wasted lives because they're so concerned about their comfort that they've allowed people living right next door to them to live next door to them for 20 years and not hear the gospel one time. May it never be said of us. Amen? Is it easy to go knock on your next door neighbor's door and share Jesus with him? What's the answer? No. We get afraid. He's bigger than me. Might not like me. God has not given us the spirit of fear. Amen? You know what? And I'm not saying, you know, invite him over to watch a football game. Spend some time with him. Get to know him. Let him see Jesus in you. But when the time comes, don't be ashamed of the gospel. Preach it with great boldness what gospel is it that we're willing to suffer for who is this god that empowers us to suffer for him look what it says in verse 9 who is this god 
For the gospel according to the power of God who saved us and called us from a holy calling. He is the one who saved us. The word saved in Greek means to save, keep safe, and sound, to rescue from danger or destruction. Guys, we were headed for destruction. And He saved us. We can't let that grow common. Amen? Imagine if you were, in a, there was, you were in a cart and it was going down the hill and your brakes were out and you're getting ready to go off a 500 foot cliff and somebody saw you coming and drove his car in front of you and stopped and let you hit his car to stop you and then his car went off the cliff and he went to his death. Would you be thankful? Would you be ashamed of that guy? I don't know him. No, you would not. You'd want to find out who his family was and minister to them, right? But you know what? Even more importantly, that's what Jesus did for every man, woman, and child who's ever lived. They were all headed for the cliff, all headed for destruction, and He came and saved us from that destruction. What a great and awesome God we serve. He paid a heavy price to rescue us from our sin and internal punishment. He died that we might live. He loves you so much, He'd rather die than live without you. That's the God that we serve. It says not only did He save us, but He called us. The Greek there means to call by name. Does that blow you away? Now, we know this in our heads, but do you ever really think about the fact that God calls you by name? Almighty God created the universe, put all the stars in the sky, says, Dave, Dave, now here's what I want you to do. He calls each of us by name. He calls us unto salvation. He calls us into ministry, and He directs our every path if we will let Him. That's the God we serve, amen? He's watching over us. He cares for us. He loves us so incredibly much. How can we be ashamed of Him? You know what? While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He knew every wicked, vile thing you were going to do, every wicked, vile thought you've ever had that nobody else knows, and He that knows you best loves you most. What a great God, amen? And yet, He still calls you unto Himself. He's not ashamed of us knowing every wicked, vile thing about us. How can we be ashamed of Him being that He is a perfect and holy God. It says there, He called us with a holy calling. He called you to live a holy and set-apart life, a life separated from the world and unto God. He rescued us from hell fire. He called us by name unto Himself. He adopted us into His family. We are Christians. We've taken His name. Amen? Followers of Christ. Now look what it says. He called us with a holy calling, but notice what it says, not according to our works. Aren't you glad? He didn't call you because you were so great. Now you might think that sometimes, but let me me clue you in. You're not. Amen? I'm great. No, you're not. You're not even good. You're not even so-so. Bible says we're wicked and perverse above all things. That's what the Bible says. Amen? There's none righteous, no, not one. That's what the Bible says. Man, I I picked the wrong Sunday. I just... (laughs) Suffering and just getting blasted up here. But here's the point. We need to see how desperate we were apart from Him so we can have a greater understanding of all He paid to restore us. And how much He loves us. What a great God. Lord, we love You. We love You. Amen? Amen. We, We love You. You're such a great God. We don't deserve this. You didn't do it because of how great we were or because of any great thing that we have done. Not because we gave to charity or because we we were kind to people. And those can be fruits of salvation, but they are not things that will save us. It's not our good works. But look what it says. But according to His own purpose and grace, 
He saved us according to His own purpose. Because He's good. Because He loves us so incredibly much. Grace, God's riches at Christ's expense. G-R-A-C-E. God's riches at Christ's expense. He died that we might have life. He saved us according to His grace and His love. Then it says, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. God's purpose for us and His grace towards us was given to us in Christ. And again, not according to our works. But God's plan for redeeming you, He he planned before He created anything. Now think about that. Before time began, that means there was a time when there was no time. Right? (laughs) Amen? Doesn't that give you a headache? Where was God before? He was there. Before that, He was there. He created time. Do you know He created time and space, the Bible says? So that means there was no space, so now i am really got a headache because I don't know what that means. But here's the point. He's outside of it. He's above it. He's over it. And before He created it, He knew He was going to create you. He knew you were going to fall. And He still, out of His love for you, predetermined beforehand to send His Son to suffer and die in your place so you might have eternal life. That's the God we serve. He pre determined, preordained that he would do this and he did it out of love for you. God's plan for redeeming mankind was from before he even created time or space. God knew before he created us we would sin and rebel. God knew that left to ourselves we were doomed. And you know what? That we would never be able to redeem ourselves. Only way we could be restored is if he did it for us and he did by sending His Son. Look what it says, which was given to us, and again the word there, in Christ. Not in our efforts, not in our kind and charitable acts, not in Buddha, not in Mohammed, not in by attaining a higher level of consciousness or arranging our furniture to the proper feng shui in order to get more positive chi. Amen? That's not how He saved us. It was, it was in and is in Christ. Amen? How can we be ashamed of the name? How can we be ashamed of His name? God who alone existed before time began has made this clear and gracious path and made it available to all who receive it. His Word clearly tells us that He is the only way. He's the only truth. He's the only life. Again, someone sent me an email of a Larry King show and there were four, quote, pastors on there, three of which were saying that you could get to heaven other ways than Christ. And I'm like, dude, why are you a Christian? Well, dude, I got a clue for you. You're not. Because if you say there's any other way, any other truth, any other hope, any other life, you are denying the cross of Calvary. You do not add to the cross, amen? Amen. But Pastor Dave, it's so much more inclusive. It's inclusive and it's foolish. Amen? We want to be politically correct. Well, you know, there's just... But, you know, we're just more loving and gracious this way. It's not loving and gracious to let people go to hell without Christ. You know, you've heard those stickers, friends don't let friends drink and drive. Friends don't let friends burn in hell. Amen? And it's foolish when someone gets up and says there's another path because all you're doing is giving people a false hope and a lie. Breaks my heart. Many who call themselves Christians, including leaders and entire denominations today, And what they portray as being enlightened, make room for other paths. Well, if you're a good person, God's certainly going to do something about that. Again, I think I made that clear. You're not good, so take care of that. Right, amen? But I'm a good man. No, you're not. But he was such a good man. No, he wasn't. Sinner in desperate need of a Savior. Amen? That's all of us. 
Maybe he sent different messengers and messiahs to different cultures. You ever heard that one? Maybe it's Buddha for them and, our, and Christian for them. And uh, No. Jesus is the only way. Amen? Amen. And it's, but that's just not politically correct. You know what? I found that being biblically accurate is very, very rarely po- politically correct. Amen? So it's not about being politically correct or acceptable before men, but being faithful to God. God who created time and heavens, the earth, you and me, created the way of salvation, and it's not up for debate or a vote. Amen? Well, I vote, there's other paths. Well, me too. Well, good, you're all wrong. It doesn't matter. You plus God is the majority. Amen? Amen? When God says it, that settles it. And you have these things called the Jesus Seminar, where they vote on whether or not God really said it. You guys are knuckleheads. You've educated yourself far too much. You need to fall broken before Almighty God. Amen? Amen. Quit voting on stuff. It's not a democracy, it's a theocracy. God's in charge, amen? amen. He created us, He makes the rules. Right. And you know what? His rules are perfect. Why mess with them? Amen? amen? He's a loving God. Proof that grace is indeed found only in Christ is seen in the next verse. Look at verse 10. This may be as far as we get. But, but has now been revealed by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus coming to earth and living a sinless, holy life and then dying in our place was the revelation and fulfillment of God's eternal plan. The word appearing there is epiphany. His visible manifestation in the flesh. It says, of our Savior. The manifestation in the flesh of our Savior. Savior, the word there is deliverer. Jesus in His coming, fulfilled God's eternal plan, delivered us from eternal separation, revealed to us the heart and character of God. You want to see God? Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You want to know what God the Father looks like? Look at Jesus Christ. He's fully God, yet submitted to the Father. Now look what this says. This is so good. But it's now been revealed by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. He has abolished death. Unlike the false gods and messiahs of this world, Jesus proved himself to be God by triumphing over sin and death, but also he has abolished death. By the way, every time you go to a, a funeral hall, or you go to a cemetery, and you see rest in peace, nothing can be more inaccurate. No one's resting. Amen? I'll tell you what, if I die before you guys do, or before the rapture, just put on my tomb... Christ abolished death. Amen? There is no death. You're just dropping a dead old tent in a hole. Amen? I close my eyes on earth and I open them up in glory. Amen? Absent from the body, present with the Lord. I didn't die. I moved to a much better neighborhood in the presence of Almighty God. We'll all have hair. Amen? The point is, it's the dead carcass we leave behind. My dead carcass isn't resting in peace. It's rotting. But I was just renting this. Amen? Amen. This is not who we are. It's who we are in here. Amen? Amen? He abolished death. He brought life. Did anybody else do that? Could anybody else do that? Nobody else even claimed to raise from the dead. You know why? Because you can prove it that they're lying. Amen? How come he's still laying there in the dirt then? That didn't work out too well. Jesus is risen. He abolished death. He brought life. Now, Can you see? Paul's writing to Timothy. Paul's about to die. Timothy's about to lay down his life in a place where he could be put to death. And he says, Paul, don't sweat it. Christ abolished death. 
Don't worry about it, bro. If they kill you, you're going to be in heaven. I've seen it. It's good. You're going to like it. A lot better than Ephesus. Amen? A lot better than Santa Cruz. Amen? People call Santa Cruz paradise. Don't even start. Not even close. Amen? We're going to be in heaven one day. And he abolished death. Christians die well. Jesus proved himself to be God by triumphing over death. He is risen, so we know that we too will be risen with him. Man's greatest fear is death. You know what? We don't have to fear it. God has not given us a spirit of fear. Amen? So we don't have to fear death. Why? Because we know that he has triumphed over it. And we know where we're headed. The gospel is the good news that Jesus has triumphed over sin and death. So too have all who have put their faith in Him. God has not given us that spirit of fear, even in the area of man's greatest fear, death. Something believers need not fear, but look forward to. Now, when I say that, we look forward to death, but we should not bring it on. Amen? Don't tempt the Lord your God. Don't allow the enemy to convince you that your life could be ended short so you could go be with the Lord. He's the one that saved you. He's the one that created you. And it's only in His timing that you should leave this earth. Amen? Amen. All right. But at the same time, can we look forward to death? I'm looking forward to it. I can't wait. It's going to be great. Paul said, far better to be with the Lord than to be here. So the gospel is good news to all all who hear it. And we must not be ashamed to proclaim it with boldness, even if it means we will share in Christ's suffering for doing so. And no wonder Paul was willing to go to jail, even to die, rather than be silent about the message. Paul was living a life that would impact eternity, that was focused on eternity. Guys, next time you're afraid to speak up, think about eternity. When you realize where you're headed, who's in control, and how faithful He is, may your fear be driven away by your passion and love for those who are lost. God has called us to serve Him. Wow. Verse 10. That was wrong in a lot of ways. Well, we're going to stop. Man, three verses. All right. Well, So we'll pick up in verse 11 next week. But you know what? We could stand here for the next six months and talk about how we should not be ashamed of the gospel and it wouldn't be enough. Amen? Amen? Amen. We must not be ashamed of the gospel. We must not be be ashamed of... How can we be ashamed of Him? And you know what? Here's the truth. And we're going to close in prayer and go to our time of communion. But let me me say this, because I'm going to be real transparent. Haven't we all done it? Who's, Who's been ashamed of the gospel before? Raise your hand. I got both my hands up. Haven't you had times when the Holy Spirit's telling you to share your faith and you don't do it? Haven't you? I remember one time, clearly, I was at McDonald's on a mission. And I'm in there, and there's a big group of teenagers over in the corner, and the Lord told me to go over and stand on the table and just share Jesus with them. <laughs> and I wimped out. I didn't do it. I don't, I don't think so. I, yeah, they won't not. No, I'm old, and they won't. No, I'm not. But you know what? Sometimes you think people are out of control. That, but you know what? Man, I'd rather, let, me, let me be out of control for Christ. Amen. As I walk in the center of His will. Amen? Let me just say, Lord, whatever the question is, the answer is yes. Lord, whatever you want me to do, Lord, I'll do it. You want to send me to the far reaches of the earth? I'll go. You want me to go next door and share my faith with my neighbor? I'll go. You want me to start a Bible study at work? Lord, I'll do it. 
Whatever the question is, Lord, the answer is yes. You want to stir up the gifts you've given me? Lord, I'm here. Lord, my life is yours. It's not mine. Lord, help me not to be ashamed of you. I know people take all the Christian stickers off their car because they say they drive too fast. You know what? Start driving the right speed and put the Christian stickers back on your car. Amen? Don't start living, say, well, I've got to be more easily identified with the world because I don't always serve God as well as I should. Stop doing that. I'm so blessed to be a Christian. How about you? I'm so thankful that He loves me. He knows every wicked, vile thing I've ever done, and He loves me anyway. What a great God. And even when I blow it, and I still do, He keeps on loving me and keeps on forgiving me. And He keeps on loving you, and He keeps on forgiving you. Seventy times seven, He told Peter to forgive. And He's forgiven me a lot more times than that. How about you? And He separated our sin as far as the east is from the west. So now as we go to this time of communion, what we're going to be doing, the worship team is going to come up in a minute, and we're going to play a few songs. And during that time, communion is for believers and is a time of looking back to the cross of Calvary. Really, ultimately, it's looking back and not being ashamed of that work of the cross, but realizing our desperate need for it. Three things I want to encourage you to do. As soon as they start playing, we're going to just remove the lids from the elements. You come on up and get them and go back and take a moment, some time with the Lord. You can do it with your spouse or your family if you would like, or a friend. But three things I want you to do. Look back to the cross of Calvary. Remember what He has done. Take some time to remember His love for you and what He did. Number two, look within. Examine your own heart before God. Lord, is there anything in me? Is there any wicked way in me? Show me. Lord, what do I need to confess? What do I need to get right with you? Is there somebody here that you're bitter embittered against that you need to go make things right? The Bible says to leave your sacrifice and go do that. And then thirdly, to know that we're going to be in heaven with Him one day. Jesus said at the Last Supper, you know, I'm going to do this with you in heaven one day. It's the last time. You know what, guys? We're going to have the Lord's Supper in heaven one day. And it's going to be great, isn't it? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You and we praise You for Your love and Your grace. We thank You, Lord, for the, for the bread and the representation of Your body broken for us. Lord, You love us so incredibly much. Lord, You were willing to die in our place so we might have eternal life. You are willing to have Your body be pierced and broken. Lord, we thank You. Lord, for the, the juice that represent your, represents Your blood that was shed on our behalf. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And Lord, as we take these elements, I pray that we would look back to the cross of Calvary. May it never grow common, that incredible act of love that You did for us. Lord, may we also look within and examine our own hearts before You. Lord, we thank You that as we come confessing, that you, you, you stand there forgiving. Lord, maybe some people here have walked a ways away from You. I thank You that, your word t- that there's a principle that we can take a million steps away from You, but it's only one step back. Lord, may we take that step back. And then, Lord, may we look forward to that time we'll be around Your throne forevermore. Lord, we can't wait to see you face to face. It's beyond our imagination. We want to hear those words, well done, thou good and faithful servants. Lord, we come humbly before you as we spend this time in recognition of the greatest act of love in the history of all mankind, that you would suffer and die in our place. May you be glorified as we take this time of communion. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen.